Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Today, as we celebrate our 14th anniversary, we remember our history and pray for our future. Pastor Ben Pitney is also starting a new message series called The Great Mystery. Join us each week as we dive into the book of Colossians. Here at Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Hey, can you believe it? 14 years ago on Super Bowl Sunday, we decided that was a good day to start a church. And it was all my fault. I didn't know it was Super Bowl Sunday because that was not what I was thinking about. I can't even remember who was playing the Super Bowl in the Super Bowl 14 years ago, but that was an awesome day. And if you're not in church today and you're listening to the podcast because you're working on a Super Bowl party I hope your party stinks. (laughs) Listen, 14 years ago, we launched Vail Christian Church, and I got to tell you, it has been a journey. It's been an unbelievable ride. We have seen so much happen over the last 14 years. 14 years ago, I had a a group of 20-year-olds that I said, hey, help me start a church. They, uh, they, they, They said, let's do it. I, I kid you not, I, I had this conversation in one of our very first staff meetings. I sat down with all of, with, uh, with every last young person, and I said, you know what? Listen, you guys, I'm telling you, you got to start a Facebook page. <laughs> I did, I, I did. I challenged every last person on my team to launch a Facebook page because none of them had a Facebook page. I said, I don't, I just, I don't know everything, but I think this is going to be huge. <laughs> I can't believe that, that, that I had that conversation, but we did. And there was a lot of things that sort of emerged like that, right? I want to show you a picture of what I think embodies Launching Veil Christian Church. This, this is my favorite picture of all time. So, so um, we got we were renting Empire High School, and I, we needed kind of like a information booth kind of thing. We needed something that said Veil Christian Church on it. We didn't have really anything, and so I got online and I started looking for um, uh, what do you call that? furniture it's for like trade shows and everything so there was this trade show place you know and they they um they 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 got my email address and they superimposed our logo on this thing and then they sent me an email you know i don't know they were doing it back then too just like they do now and 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 i went wow that looks cool so i got online started talking to this lady uh, I got on the phone. I didn't actually get online. I got on the phone, actually, because um, it was through email and everything. And, I s- and so we designed this whole thing, right? And so we bought it. It cost us, it's ridiculous. It cost us just under $4,000, that thing did. I know, 14 years ago. I know, all right? So, um, so I said, we're doing it, all right? And we got it here. And on the very first Sunday morning... All right, that's when we decided to figure out how to put it together because we didn't have, we, you know, we didn't have any place. We were all sitting around. That thing was like in the back of my truck for a week, all right? And we pulled that thing out, all right, to set it up, and it took us like an hour because there were no directions, all right? 
And if you count, there are nine people trying to figure out how to put that thing together. And one of them is Dennis Hardy's in the back. And I think Beth is there, you know, and they were sort of fussing about it. And Beth was saying, I think it goes like this. And Dennis was saying, no, I think it goes like this. I mean, it was funny. It was hilarious. I finally went out there. I'm like, I can't believe this, you guys. Can't figure out how to put together some PVC pipe. Finally, we snapped that all together. And uh, I took that picture. And I don't know, it's it's my favorite picture because it just embodies the launch in a church. We're all trying to figure out what to do. Everybody kind of, not arguing, but in a fun way, we were kind of, just just trying to figure it out and launch a church. And you know what happened? We got a whole bunch of people together, though, that said, listen, uh, may not know what we're doing, but we know that we should do this. And we feel like God wants us to launch a church in Veil. And it's amazing what emerged from there. Amazing. The journey, I would not trade the journey for anything. I talk to people all the time about our journey. I think the church is the hope of the world, right? And... Uh, 14 years ago, we put that canopy up, and I got to tell you, last year, I finally threw that thing in the dumpster. It was tore up. It was a mess. It was just a mess. It was was all broken, and, and we got our money's worth out of that thing, all right? And when I threw it in the dumpster, I almost cried. I swear, I almost cried. And I turn around that day and I bought another one just exactly like it. It's just a different color. You've seen it out in the courtyard. I could tell you story after story about people uh, being obedient, uh, learning how to roll up their sleeves and teach Sunday school and never having done it, right? Grabbed a whole bunch of young people together and we started uh, small groups for teenagers before we did anything. And then we said, once we had all these teenagers together, we went after their parents and said, let's go. Come on. People sold their houses. People moved out here. People did all kinds of things in order to launch a church. Tons of people rolled up their sleeves and sacrificed and gave financially and did all kinds of stuff. And trusted uh, a group of 20-year-olds primarily and me uh, that we knew what we were doing. Right? We established elders. And servant leader, deacons, and uh, it's a lot, there's a ton of history. But we did it on Super Bowl Sunday, right? There's something amazing about the Super Bowl. Have you ever realized how patriotic we get and how unified we get as a country when it comes to the Super Bowl? It's amazing how we all come together. Have you ever real, realized? It doesn't matter, but when they start playing the national anthem, whoever's singing it, it's just like, whoa! It's awesome, isn't it? It just, it brings us together as a country and it's over a dumb ball, right? Deflated or flated, inflated. (laughs) All right, let's talk about the anniversary because we do something every year, one time, just one time every year on our anniversary. And I'm going to ask you to do it. So I'm going to ask our our staff and our elders and our deacons and, and anybody else who wants to come up here, I guess. This is what we do every year. We just take just a few moments out of all seriousness, and we get on our knees and we thank God for the year that he's given us and all the good things that he's done. And we acknowledge the one who this is all about. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. All right? And so I'm going to ask you if you will join me and our team in getting on our knees just for a few minutes to thank the Lord. If you can't do it, I get it. This is just this one time this year when we do this. Will you... 
Go to your knees with us. Lord God, uh, going to our knees just represents the posture of our heart. We are humbled to be just in your presence. We come together. This day is set aside to ascribe worth and value like only you deserve, Lord. So we're here on our knees today to, to recognize, to declare, to acknowledge that apart from you, Lord, we're nothing. That anything that has happened that's good from the launch of Vail Christian Church until now, all of those good things belong to you and it's because of you. This morning we're, we're humbled, Lord, how you've blessed us and cared for us and watched over us. Thank you for all of our, the, the great leadership that you've provided. Thank you for all the unbelievable servants that you've given us. Thank you for the direction. Thank you for listening to us and caring about the big things and the small things. Watching over our journey day and night, Lord. But thank you, Lord God, that we've seen, we've been able to, be, to participate in and be a part of people surrendering their li uh, lives to you, surrendering allegiance to your son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God, that we've seen people's lives transformed from the inside out. Thank you that you brought families of all kinds to us, Lord. Thank you for all of the, uh, the difficulty, all the struggle, all the heartache, all the brokenness, all the, all the pain. Uh, thank you for that as much as thank you for all the blessing and the joy and the, and the success and the, um, the great things that have happened as well. We know that you've utilized all of it, Lord. We pray that from this point, through especially this next year that you might help us, Lord God, in this journey of being the church, to be faithful at presenting the gospel, to be faithful at worshiping you, to be faithful at giving, to be faithful at serving. And when we gather together in unity, God, we pray that it, it might all point towards you. Thank you, Lord God, for so many things that you've done in spite of our weakness and our failures and our covenant breaking and our, our um, inconsistency. Thank you, Lord God, that you never change, that you're always the same. And again, Lord, we'll be careful to give you all the glory because it all belongs to you. It all rests with you. Apart from you, Lord, we're nothing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for coming on. Appreciate it. Well, take your Bible out and turn to the book of Colossians. We're going to be in this journey called the Great Mystery till almost June. It's only four chapters, but that's where we're going to be. And we're going to discover all kinds of really good things together, I think. I'm going to try my best to draw the truth out of the text and then, and then actually ask this question, what's this have to do with me? But um, the, there's some goals here that Paul has in mind for this really great letter. So that's what we're going to look at. And I want to just give you kind of a broad, wide overview this morning. I'm really excited about it. The letter to the Colossians was written by Paul, the greatest church planter ever. I, I think he's a pastor as well. He's a great teacher. But he's written, he wrote this letter while he was in prison. And 
tradition says that he was in prison in Rome, but he could. He, I think he was probably a little bit closer than that. Lots of scholars think maybe uh, he was um, a little closer than just Rome. The end of the book of Acts, though, if you read the end of the books of book of Acts, Acts is the second volume. It's a companion volume to the book of Luke. When you read the end, Luke describes Paul under house arrest, awaiting a trial that would determine life or death. So I, I think that's, I think that's an important piece of information to recognize when you read this letter. He, he had a lot, I think, to be concerned about. But he's concerned about these people. So it's at this time he, he becomes concerned for these people, the Christ followers at the church in the city of Colossae. Word had come from a guy named um, Epaphras about some of the problems that the church was having. So Paul poured out his heart to them in this letter. And he urged them to stand firm and to become aware of what was happening to them. He intended to strengthen them because of the difficulties that they were facing. And I think that um, when you read his letters, he's not scolding them. He's not doing anything like that. He's not kind of getting on their case. He's actually trying to encourage and inspire and motivate these people, and to become aware of some things. A lot of times, it's uh, it's kind of crazy how, has anybody ever shook you a little bit and said, hey, 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 because you, you, you're you going down this road with an attitude or actions, or you get out of kind of emotionally out of control. You can get out of, out of whack in, in all kinds of ways, and you don't realize what you're doing. And somebody has to say, hey, you got to step back a little bit and recognize some things. I think Paul is kind of doing that. He's trying to shake them just a little bit. And help them know some things that they don't, they're not seeing. So the Spirit of God stirs up Paul to write this letter in his difficult circumstances and to give life to these people. And he didn't know, actually, most of these people. He never met them. He writes this letter to challenge unsound doctrines and wrong thinking. It's amazing how unsound doctrines and wrong thinking can creep in, right? We, um, we think that everything on the internet is true sometimes. <laughs> and have you ever kind of gone down this road and then realized, oh my gosh, that was totally fake news or whatever, right? It's kind of crazy how that happens. I think that um, although he's deeply concerned for these folks, like I said, and this church is growing, by the way. It's growing. His primary concern falls under an overriding objective for the church at Colossae and every other church that he launches. So chapter 1, just slip down to verse 28 and 29. And we're going to focus on those two verses. Now before you just look at the screen, I want you to turn there in your Bible, okay? There's a reason why I don't put the verses up on the screen, because then you don't open your Bible. And I think it's a bad habit, all right? So it's true. It is no secret. I'm trying to force you to open your own Bible, to mark up your own Bible. I don't care if it's your tablet, your phone, your whatever. You can still take notes. You can still focus on it, okay? I have an electronic version of the Bible, and I have all kinds of notes in it, so I know you can do all of that, all right? 
But in the Nep Bible, here's what it says. Verse 28 and 29, chapter 1 of Colossians. We proclaim him by instructing and teaching all people with all wisdom so that we may present every person mature in Christ. The word mature is a big deal. Underline that. Toward this goal, I also labor, labor, struggle according to his power that powerfully works in me. When I was a young man, I picked up a book and I got uh, encouraged to read a book written by Eugene Peterson. And that's where I was first introduced. I was in my early 20s. I was first introduced to this guy named Eugene Peterson. He was a really great theologian and uh, biblical scholar. And um, he had just come out with a paraphrase of the New Testament called The Message. It's not a translation. It's an actual paraphrase. And I started reading about this paraphrase because it really intrigued me because um, I was kind of taught through seminary in my Bible um, education that, uh, you know, the living Bible is the devil because it's a paraphrase and it's not actually God's words, right? Which is kind of true. I don't know that it's the devil. It's just an attempt to try to make it Put it in modern language. So Eugene Peterson, being a really conservative biblical scholar, he said, I'm going to do that. I'm just going to do it better. He said, because I spent my whole life as a pastor trying to put God's word into palatable and understandable language. So I grabbed a hold of the message and it's true. It's really, really unique, but it is meant to be read audibly. It's not really meant to be to study by. But when you read it audibly, it really does give you good perspective. Look what he does, how he says the verses. He says, we preach Christ, warning people not to add to the message. We teach in a spirit of profound common sense so that we can bring each person to maturity. He still uses that really solid, good biblical word, maturity. To be mature is to be basic Christ. No more, no less. That's what I'm working so hard day after day, year after year, doing my best with the energy God so generously gives me. That word mature is a big deal. Now, if you read in uh, another translation called the New International Version, NIV, where the word mature is, it will say perfect. And that is not a good word, actually. This is Paul writing this in the present, not the future. We will become perfect eventually, but right now we are becoming mature, okay? We're becoming mature, so get that word out of there. It's not a, a, a good word. Now, this word mature is a big deal because we want to we get to what's his overarching, what, what's he after, what's he trying to do with this letter? What's he trying to do with these people? What is he after? There's an overriding concern, and, and Paul's objective in his overriding concern is for the maturity of believers. Maturity. To present every, everyone, every believer, every Christ follower, mature or complete in Christ. Fully established. We utilize some discipleship material called BUILD. It's a little bit of an, an acronym play on words, but build it's a resource that helps you build life in christ it's ordered learning and its whole goal is to bring you to this place where you are a fully established christ follower meaning mature 
And we utilize, uh, Bill utilizes the principles, uh, the first principles of the faith, basic understanding so that when you're done, you can do things like this. You don't just know that you should be baptized. You understand why you should be baptized to the point that you could explain to somebody else why you should be baptized. And here are the steps and the reasons why you should be baptized. Being an unestablished Christ follower means I know I should be baptized, but I don't actually know why. And I can't articulate through the scriptures why you should be baptized. Meaning I don't know that it's a command and I don't understand it. And I, 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 I haven't connected the dots. There's so many things like that. Right. So this is what Paul wants to do. He wants uh, Christ followers to be fully established, mature, growing Christ followers. That that's a big deal. And some way along the way, we we sort of I don't know, this becomes one of these things we're not patient for. And we it's a lot of work and it's difficult. That word discipleship really bothers us because it takes work to become a fully established Christ follower. Let's keep going, though, because the way Paul accomplishes this is, is this. Look at his, his journey, A, or 1, I guess. He preached Christ, the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord means master. That's what he did. He preached Jesus everywhere he went. He explained who Jesus was and is everywhere he went. Number two, he admonished and taught, instructed, offering both warnings and instructions. So, hey, here's some things you need to look out for. Let me give you some instructions about this. He does this everywhere. See, he used all wisdom, the wisdom of God and the gospel, not wisdom or philosophy based on the traditions of men. Sometimes the church gets in this place where we... Um, I don't know. We don't look much different. We try to, we don't look much different than I, I, I think everything else around us. I think there's a balance there to everything. Paul seemed to, to understand, hey, the wisdom or philosophy based on tr traditions of men, that's not going to cut it. That's not going to establish Christ followers. So then last, he, he, he works really hard at extending his very best effort. And combining all of his efforts and energy with the energy and the power that Christ provides. I think he rolled up his sleeves and he busted his can, but he drew his strength truly from Jesus. I think he worked really, really hard. I think when you examine his life, it's inspiring because he was relentless. I just don't think he... I want to be careful how I say it, but he didn't just like, oh, I can only serve once a week kind of thing. You know what I mean? I mean, he he really was devoted to this mission and mandate that Jesus gave him. So Paul's overriding concern was growth and maturity. To be mature means that we are growing to become what God has designed and intended us to be. Maturity is the end for which we were created. The purpose for which we've been saved and recreated. Oh, this guy, Dallas Willard, he's kind of a cool guy. And um, he's, he died a few years ago. But he kind of coined this phrase um, called spiritual transformation. 
And uh, l- look at this quote. I love it. Spiritual formation, which means transformation too, for the Christian basically refers to the spirit-driven driven process of forming the inner world of the human self in such a way that it becomes like the inner being of Christ himself. So then the, the outer life of the individual becomes a natural expression or outflow of the character and teachings of Jesus. So when the inside is transformed, then what happens on the outside is measurable and you can see. You, you act differently on the outside because of the inside. People recognize, we all recognize the need for sp- a, a spiritual life. And... Um, Growth even. But our goals and our focus are diluted and forgotten and misplaced and flawed a lot of times. What is the aim of our spiritual journey? And what is going to help us stay on track as we seek a relationship with God? See, Paul's letter to these people, the Colossians, give us the answers. And it's really easy to lose sight of the goal in our spiritual life. I think it's really easy. I think you can get going and you get you get in these habits, you get in a routine and then Things just kind of dry up unless you stay after it. Growth and staying uh, and, and continuing to grow is a lifelong quest and journey. And so we have to be reminded of that. And so I'm hoping that in this journey through this letter, we, we catch a vision and you catch personally a vision for your spiritual life and your spiritual journey in Christ that's much bigger than just personal preferences. Usually we look at and we're we're after personal preferences. Actually, we choose church. We choose to connect with things that we prefer, right? And and though that's like the overarching, um, uh, determining factor, and it heavily affects our spiritual journey and our spiritual growth, right? Sometimes we grow the most. In other words, to just drive the point home. When we do things we don't want to, when we're required to be and do and uh, attend, if you will, or, or, or engage in areas where we don't prefer. Have you noticed that? It's amazing. When God takes you to a place where you're really uncomfortable, that's generally where you grow the most, right? Have you noticed that? I hate that. Well, the end for which we are created is a big deal. What is the end for which we are created? In Paul's mind, maturity is not just for some people. Three times in verse 28, Paul uses the, the, the word all or every. He instructed, he encouraged and admonished every person. He taught every person so that he could present every person complete or mature in Christ. No one was seen unfit or incapable. Everybody can become mature in Christ. No one's cast aside. Each person is important. Paul's overriding concern was the growth and maturity of believers. And this has got to be our concern as well. This is why we put a lot of effort and energy into Sunday school. This is why everybody needs to participate in helping us with our children and our teenagers. They're a big deal. That's why they're a priority to us. We want to see them grow in Christ. This is why we put a lot of emphasis on classes and community groups and all these things. This has got to be our concern, our priority as well. What does it mean to be mature or complete in Christ? It doesn't mean 
that we will be perfect in the journey. And it doesn't mean, and, and, and this is different, we're using this word perfect, um, we will be and become perfect when Jesus returns. But until then, we are on a journey of becoming more mature. So it doesn't mean that we're all going to look the same. It doesn't mean that we all think the same. It doesn't mean that, uh, I mean, we have essential beliefs and there are non-essential beliefs and we all have different views and opinions of those things. It doesn't mean that we're going to avoid struggles and difficulty and adversity. It doesn't mean that we're going to be free from temptation. The word mature can mean complete fulfillment, brought to its end, finished, it can mean consummation. To me, mature means that we are growing to become what God has designed and intended us to be. Maturity is the end for which we were created, now the end for which we have been saved and recreated and made new. So Paul says that maturity means to become Christ-like, for the life of a Christ follower to be formed in us. So he writes to he writes another letter like this to uh, the Galatians, the church in Galatia. In Galatians 4.19, he says, My children, I am again undergoing birth pains until Christ is formed in you. He writes to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And he says, We all... With unveiled faces reflecting the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, which is from the Lord, who is the Spirit. His desire for the Ephesians, he writes to the church in Ephesus, was for them to build each other up. He says, Ephesians 4.13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, a mature person attaining to the measure of Christ's full stature. So maturity means to grow in the fullness of Christ, to be whole, to be a holy person, to have a heart that is fully turned towards God, a heart that is being spiritually formed. Maturity speaks of this deep, inner, spiritual transformation of the heart. Our minds, our heart, everything, our thoughts, our actions are all transformed. We don't become perfect in this life, but we are making significant progress in that direction. And eventually, one day when Christ comes again, we're going to join in fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit of God. And on that day, we will be complete, whole, lacking nothing, perfect, and sharing in the glory of God. That's our destiny and where we are headed. That's our primary goal and objective. Put the quote back up. Read it again now for the Christian, the Christ follower, basically refers to the spirit-driven process of forming the inner world of the human self in such a way that it becomes like the inner being of Christ himself. So the outer life of the individual becomes a natural expression or outflow of the character and teachings of Jesus. That is spiritual formation this is paul's objective this is his overriding concern as gentiles at the time these are not the orthodox jew these are the gentiles they're coming to christ too they'd been practicing a spirituality that had been 
defined and created by their pagan culture, right? And everything around them. And so their inner life had been formed by the world, separate from God. So their inner life was was formed by what was going on in the world and their culture and the beliefs in the culture. That's what was inside of them, all right? Separated or separate from God. But now, since hearing the gospel, they had been reborn in Christ, and so Paul wants them to be reformed in the image of Jesus, to be completely transformed from the inside out. This is why Paul's so concerned about erroneous teaching, bad teaching, false teaching, and false spiritual practices. Because all these things had seemed, had seemed spiritually good, and they had um, emotional experiences attached to them, but they're not beneficial to the formation of Christ in them. So Paul writes this letter to, the, to these Colossian believers to make them aware of these things so that they can focus on what will truly form them in Christ, okay? That's really the reason why Paul writes all of his letters. He's not trying to scold them. He's not trying to lecture these people for being out of whack. Or he's not trying to say, get back in line, you guys. That's not it. He's talking to them about a whole new life created in Jesus. And it devastates him to think that the transformation that God wants for his people won't happen because they aren't instructed or willing to follow the path that God designed for them. So Paul's telling the Colossians all these other spiritual practices are not going to benefit them in reaching their main objective for being formed in Christ. So I think the important question for us to consider is, do we really want to be like Christ or do we want to live the way we want to live? That's what's going on with these people. and That's what's always going on with us. In our hearts, do we want to be transformed into Jesus's image or would we rather just have a small dose of God on Sunday and the freedom to live like we want the rest of the time? If we truly want to be formed in Christ, then we got to ask a few questions. Let me just straight up ask them. Where is spiritual formation happening in our lives? Where is it happening? Because you got to be intentional with it. You have to practice it. Time has to be assigned for it. How about this? What activities are nourishing and feeding our souls? What activities? What is giving us life? You ever heard that phrase, you are what you eat? If you're to take that literally, I'm totally a hamburger. <laughs> How are we allowing God to work in the deepest part of our hearts? If we're doing religious things, just stuff, and we're not growing, and you're drained, something's wrong. If you're expecting me to feed you, I am not good enough. I can't do it. I can't do it. It's, there's, I can't do it in just 35 minutes, sometimes longer. I can't do it. You have to learn how to feed yourself. It's impossible for me to do it. I'm just not that good. And there's some good ones out there. And I realize, you know, I, I want to be, I want to be a good teacher. But I think my job is more to inspire and motivate and challenge and you got to get in there and dig in it as well. 
Spiritual formation has to be intentional. We have to assign time and energy to evaluate and to practice spiritual disciplines that will allow us to continue this quest towards becoming like Jesus. And if we don't, then we're going to be really bad, by the way, and really ineffective and really diluted in terms of trying to explain who Jesus is. Spiritual formation is the purpose for everything that we do, or it should be. Small groups, community groups, discipleship, reading scripture, telling our story with the gospel, confession, prayer, service, serving, fellowship, worship, not just on Sunday. Coming together in unity, yeah, on Sunday. These are all formative formative experiences that allow correcting of our thinking and providing a space for us to meet with God together, worshiping, gathering, giving, serving, growing in Christ together, becoming like Him. And when you pull that together in unity, it dwarfs the power of the Super Bowl. I mean, the Super Bowl is one of the most unifying things that we do as a nation. But I'm telling you, Jesus is way more powerful than that. When you get Christ followers together, it can instantly transform and change. Just as a result of us being together, we can charge each other up, and the Lord seems to just really use it. So real quickly here, number four, Roman numeral number four, there are distracting influences out there. Lots of things distract us, don't they? And Paul identifies the things that are distracting these people, and it's amazing how they connect and relate to us. The process isn't easy. I'm beginning to learn more and more that growing old is not for wimps. It's not for sissies. It is hard to grow old gracefully and to continue as you grow old to become more and more mature. It's hard. It's hard not to become that guy that's like, get off my lawn. (laughs) My neighbor trimmed a whole bunch of trees on my property recently. And I went out there and just thanked him. He still thinks they're his trees. I'm happy. I'm probably happy until until he cuts one down, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. I think 20 years ago I might have said something different than, thanks for doing that. That looks great. This is a journey. There are many influences along the way that distract you, that help you become fruitless in maturing as a Christ follower. The things that Paul mentions in Colossians chapter 2 are many of the distractions and negative influence we face today. In just that chapter, you can look at that chapter. There are external religious appearances, adhering to the outer symbols of the faith. Like those are the big deal. In the early church, it was the temptation to adopt adopt the Jewish identity the identity markers like circumcision or the holy days or the food laws. Jesus got rid of all those things. And there's a new covenant now. So these people, you know, it was hard. They, they had to slip, slip back into those things. There is this thing called rigid assentianism. Assentiacism, excuse me. It's, a, it's severe self-discipline and avoidance of all forms of indulgence or denying the flesh in extreme measures in order to produce humility. 
And uh, that's not for everybody in our day. But the problem with this is that it just, rather than producing humility, it, it just produces pride and arrogance. There's this thing called sin management. That's just the way I'm trying to describe it. Thinking that the laws or the programs and the stuff are able to deal with the temptation and sin. And the problem is that, that it doesn't work. You can't manage sin. Or traditions of men buying into the idea that we've always done it this way, this is the way and the right way, and the other ways are wrong. This is a Jewish influence in Paul's day. But this thinking has many manifestations today, doesn't it? You'd be surprised how many emails I get about the way we do the Lord's Supper around here. A lot of people think we do it wrong. And it's just because we, you know, people grow up in these traditions and think this is, you know, but it doesn't outline how to do it. The methodology, in other words, you know, it's just like it doesn't outline the methodology of the worship and things like that. There's so many things that are like that, right, in church and being a Christ and stuff like that. How about this? Emotion. Emotional spiritual experiences. This is a good one. Paul uses the worship of angels as an example. Our relationship with God and should be deeply emotional. It should be. Sometimes we're not emotional enough in my view. But we can have a tendency to look for something magical and a mountaintop experience to fix our hearts. And if we don't get it, then we're just not connecting. It's kind of ridiculous. We can tie that to the traditions of men sometimes and think that, you know, if we're not doing things this way, then we're, you know, we're just not feeling it. Sometimes changes in us are instant, but most of the time they're not. It's like a saguaro. It's a slow journey, right? You know, realize on a saguaro cactus, right, one arm takes about 65 years to grow. Because they only grow like one inch at a time. 65 years. The eucalyptus trees in the middle of the courtyard were actually supposed to be saguaros, but they were really expensive. So we said, well, what's the next best thing that'll grow and be... <coughs> so those things are only four years old. Did you know that? And they're like 30 feet tall. Did you realize that? They kind of scare me sometimes because they could get the trunk like this big. <laughs> what's going to happen? I don't know. Four years, but then there's that one saguaro out there, right? It's a museum-quality saguaro. We bought one, and then it died, and then we had to get another one. It's awesome. That one saguaro out there is 100 years old, and the eucalyptus trees are four years old. There's a saguaro over here in the corner. It's 250 years old. It's the oldest one on the property. It's kind of ugly-looking. 250 years old, according to the Saguaro doctor guy. Pagan beliefs and worship, these are philosophies in the culture, and they seep into our spiritual life, and then before you know it, we're worshiping the environment and things like that. Yeah, we should take care of the environment. Yes, all of it. I mean, I'm as environmental as it gets, actually, but uh, not to the point where we worship it. It's not Mother Earth and Father Sky. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit of God. So Paul's going to touch on all these things in chapter 2. There's a guiding nucleus. So if there's so many distracting and unproductive influences, what's going to keep us on track to the goal of our quest and our journey and our maturity in Christ? 
Paul answers in the book of Colossians is Christ himself. The realize that in Christ, all the fullness of his power, it rests in Christ. There's no other place to look for wisdom. There's no other place to look for knowledge. There's no other place to look for spiritual transformation. There's no other place to look for spiritual experience. The grace of God through Jesus is all we need for salvation, and the same grace is all we need for transformation. All the flawed spiritual influences we might encounter dilute, they cheapen the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. So Paul is going to encourage us to fill our minds with Jesus. He's going to, number six, encourage us to imitate Christ. And this is what I think. I think he's going to teach us that it happens in the ordinary. That's where transformation happens. We'd love to have some dramatic experience or special weekend conference that changes your life. And I believe in camp and I believe in taking teenagers to camp because crazy stuff happens there. But when you get back here, you got to live life. And that's where life really is in the ordinary routine of everyday life. And it's a long haul. Living with your spouse and parenting and going to the grocery store and doing laundry and paying bills. We grow and we mature by taking the stuff of our ordinary lives and surrender it to Jesus. Turn it over to Jesus, not turn it into idolatries. And we walk with Jesus faithfully every day, trusting and obeying Jesus. God takes ordinary stuff in our lives and through the Holy the, the work of the Holy Spirit transforms us. And this transforming work takes place not only in our life individually, but also in our church, in, in the body of Christ, in the congregation, in our relationships with family and friends. Marriage is a great illustration of this whole design, our spiritual journey, our spiritual pilgrimage. The goal of marriage is to become one flesh, and that happens just like that. No. No. Not by a long shot. It's a long, long journey. But as we give ourselves to it faithfully, and we die to self, and we learn how to love another person, and we develop a servant's heart, and we let go of all the things that we want, and we accept what is, what happens? We wake up one day, 15, 20, 30 years later, and we look at our spouse and realize God has been working across the years, making us one flesh. That's what happens in our relationship with God. And the important thing is to pay attention and realize that the kingdom of God is here in our midst. This is the context of this letter to the Colossians. We were created by God, but formed in the world. But now we've been recreated through the work of the cross and can be formed into his image through the work of the Holy Spirit. We're going to encounter a lot of distracting influences, but as we focus on Jesus, God will transform the events of our everyday lives into extraordinary, holy, transformational moments for the glory of God. That's what he wants to do. And, oh, let's look at the mystery really fast. Colossians chapter 1, verse 26. Paul says, that is the mystery that has been kept hidden from the ages and generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known to them the glorious riches of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, here it comes, Christ 
in you. The hope of glory. That's the mystery, Christ in you. Paul says, he wants to make it known to everybody now. That's the mystery. That's the great mystery. Christ is in you. We're going to continue to discover that. Lord, thank you for today. I pray that it's a really great game. <laughs> I pray that it's fun. And as we gather together and interact and eat, and eat all kinds of stuff we probably shouldn't even eat. We might recognize and remember these things today that are most important. Our relationship with you, growth and maturity. Help us to practice these things, these spiritual disciplines. And help us now on this journey together, Lord, draw the truth out of the text. Absorb it, understand it, and apply it to our lives so that we can get out there in the culture that we live in and be Jesus to people that really need him. And to present the, the, the gospel in a clear and a clear way that explains your son Jesus. We know that's our mission and our mandate. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day, you guys. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. To read the quote by Dallas Willard, please see our notes attached to this podcast. Join us next week as Pastor Ben takes us further into the great mystery. If you have any questions or would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.bailchristian.com.